I'm Frederick Curtin, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. Leilani, this is the Pushback Talk summer series. It is. I can hear the waves, the beach. Yes. Can, so even in the, your Ottawa bunker, you can actually hear the waves? Yes, is of the river. True? Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was you. You, you had some Zoom connection to the Caribbean or something like that. Mm. I, that's how people travel. So how, how is the summer in Canada? Is it hot? We've, we've heard it's like, like it's extremely hot. It was extremely hot. Climate, yes, change, climate change. The, the scientist says that this is like the total proof of climate change. When you go up 4.5 degrees Celsius, uh, it's extreme. So I will just say, like my compatriot uh, Greta Thunberg, listen to science and park your stupid SUV. You know, stop driving stupidly big cars. Get on a bike. Get yourself alive. Stop overspending the planet's resources. Okay? That's my my little summer message to you, Leilani. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. But it's evocative, isn't it? I mean, it's like an inferno. I think that the images coming out of Canada, this inferno, are really having an impact on people. I think, as you say, it's like a, this visible deterioration of the planet, you know? the burning of the planet. So maybe people will wake up and stop driving their SUVs. Please do. One of the most interesting uh, talks we had was with the Danish housing minister, Kåre Dybvad. And Kåre is a quite young social democratic uh, leader in, in Denmark. We, we have a special relation to him because the world premiere of PUSH was in Copenhagen. You remember that? I remember it very well. And... I think it was in Copenhagen and because of what happened in Copenhagen that you and I realized that there is a way to make change. There's a way to create what you and I have called the perfect storm for change. And it hap it did happen in Copenhagen. The the elements being the screening of push, tying it into a grassroots movement that was already pushing back against Blackstone that was eating up housing in Copenhagen and beyond and some media attention and a little bit of UN special rapporteur letter writing to the powers that be. It was kind of interesting and also that the, there was the, the, this amazing festival CPH Docs organized a, a panel with the then former housing minister who was a very neoliberal guy with a very tidy beard remember uh, who said I do uh, to the audience oh this is something that happens in London and New York, but not in Copenhagen. And then the whole audience just rose up and they were shouting because the festival had been able to reach out to people who lived in, in homes purchased by Blackstone. And Blackstone had been really moving in in a very aggressive way. But in this panel was also Kåre Dybvad, who then a few months later became the housing minister. So let's listen to Kåre Dubad in talks with me and Leilani in pushback talks. 
There, there was coming to almost every screening we had in Copenhagen. There were a lot of tenants coming from houses bought by by Blackstone, and and the stories coming from them was quite intense. There was all this kind of very aggressive way of trying to do renovations so they could push up the rent. When did you when did you see this problem the first time? How did when did you understand how aggressive this was? Well, in our legislation, we had paragraph from the 90s where Copenhagen was a worn down uh, industrial city. And, and we changed the legislation back then so that you could make a large renovation of apartments and then uh, and then push up the rent. Uh, and that was meant to be maybe a 50% increase when people moved out. But then through the, the decades uh, since the 90s, it has been used more and more aggressively. Uh, and then when we saw some of the international uh, investors, uh, Blackstone as the most aggressive, but also others from, from the UK and from the US, then it came to a whole new uh, level. Uh, and I got uh, letters from uh, mails from, from people who had their uh, rent uh, pushed up by by 200% and, and, uh, and other crazy stories about also uh, construction workers entering people's bedrooms at uh, at uh, half past six in the morning and all these stories and and of course it was part of a of a way to to buy up apartments and then because you have to get people to move to make these very profitable uh, renovations then they used all the methods they had to to get people out of the apartment so they could push up the rent after renovating one thing you said that i really think is so important and i i i it's the same narrative I have, which is we have in place laws and, in fact, a whole paradigm that may have worked in the 90s, but we're in an entirely new landscape now, and those things aren't working now, and they're being taken advantage of. And, and, and I really like what you said about that, because I think we are in a new era, and I think you've recognized that w- through your law, um, which, is, which is very cool and really important. Well, I agree with that. Um, especially in the Nordic countries, we had uh, some three or four different uh, periods of housing regulation where the period between start 90s and until a few years ago uh, there was a, a strong confidence in in market solutions and also in in leaving uh, some of the need for uh, leaving all of the need for, for for affordable housing to to the social housing uh, associations and non-profit associations and then and then letting the market take risk of it and, and i think that's that's that made a very difficult situation in in the nordic capitals and and also in copenhagen where where you have some 20 percent uh, that is non-profit housing associations and then you would have 80% market uh, housing. And, and that's what we challenged with our legislation, saying that the old housing, uh, private housing uh, um, estates, uh, those should be regulated and we should keep a strong and tight regulation so that it's possible for people who have uh, normal jobs to drive the buses in Copenhagen or who, who's uh, who's working in the kindergartens or in the shops, uh, uh, at the counters, they they should also be able to to live uh, close to that job. They shouldn't 
uh, on top of a low wage also have uh, one and a half hour commute to get to the to the place they work and and that's very important uh, for us to to reinstate that principle in the way that we plan our cities so i mean you're i mean i've checked you you were 34 when you were in the panel you're 36 <laughs> now so you're you're also kind of closer to to that generation who is not so safe because the older generation might sit a little bit safer so you do you think that also you have closer to when your your passion in this is also connected to that your yourself is also in this kind of stage of life where you you need to get into the housing market and suddenly it's not that easy anymore well i think that for for my generation of people who are born in the 80s there's another view on on how housing market and urban development goes and how it works when we go back a few decades then there was a very strong emphasis on on uh, on uh, development and and how to turn around cities who were maybe especially especially the inner parts of the cities were were challenged by uh, urban decay or, or how you how you say and and um, and I think that for my generation we'd more had a skip very a much more skeptical view on uh, on the whole loan bank loan and and expensive housing and the financial crisis and how it worked together with and crashed in 2008 and especially in Denmark but also many other European countries we've seen severe consequences from that and and people losing their houses losing their jobs and banks going bankrupt because they they uh, they made all these crazy investments and I think it's it's been part of 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 the of the upbringing that we had, and 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 the and the and the way we we view uh, urban development is also uh, is also influenced by by those experiences in in the in the financial crisis, and I think that's why people uh, have a much more strong support for 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 demanding uh, a nonprofit housing in urban development and for keeping old, uh, cheap private apartments regulated and, and for keeping prices down on co-op housing, which is also a very large part of Copenhagen housing, as in Sweden also. Uh, and we're fighting a, a very strong uh, or fierce uh, battle f to keep uh, those housing prices uh, somewhat low. Uh, it's it's still very expensive, but but to to keep a large part of the middle class uh, into uh, the group that that can actually buy uh, their own house in one way or the other, and to ensure that those who can't, they have the possibility to to move into nonprofit apartments. For some reason, it's become a radical idea that people who make our cities work should actually live in those cities. I mean, how that's become radical, I don't know. While it, there may not be the right to the city, and there may not be a human right to live in city center, there is a human right to remain in a unit that you're living in and to not be costed out of your unit and basically forced out by escalating prices. That is a human right because affordability is a key component of the right to housing. And so enacting legislation to protect that, the ability of people to stay in their homes is super important and is consistent with the right to housing. That's what I argued 
<laughs> <laughs> when you when you entered into the into the government uh, two years ago, the letters from Leilani about Blackstone landed on your table to to answer. And you were one of the the ones who actually did the work. What did you think when you saw those letters? Well, I think that it is uh, a very p- important uh, uh, focus uh, to, to have in all of uh, of uh, cities around the world where where people are getting pushed out. Uh, and and I and we and we ran to that election uh, on some of the the issues that you brought up in your film, and and that was uh, that was debated around also in Copenhagen, both because of your film, but also because of 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 the new players on the Copenhagen housing market, especially Blackstone, and uh, so so that was uh, that was in line with with what I thought, and I think also I answered it. I don't remember exactly what I wrote in that answer, but but I think we did, and, and we were working at that time in making a proposal for legislation that was uh, strong enough to uh, to push out uh, or to, to make some of the most aggressive investors stay away from Denmark, uh, and and also to to send a warning to some of we we still have many uh, Danish especially pension funds and also many Scandinavian uh, investors uh, big Swedish and Norwegian uh, housing uh, asset managers uh, who who uh, who are in Copenhagen but also to send a warning to them that that if you misuse uh, some of this legislation which is not it's not detailed into every small sense and so so you can always find some ways to if you if you care so little about people who live in the apartments you can find a way to to make uh, fast money on it so so that was the double side of that legislation and that was what we were preparing at the time when when i uh, when i answered the letter from you and then you started up a parliamentary committee straight off that was almost your first move yeah, we we did that before the election. We we forced because of the debate. We 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 managed to to get the former government to put down that committee also because they wanted to, they wanted to not have that debate and and, uh, but but there were uh, three uh, uh, experts who were who were uh, making a, a strong. Uh, Case and analysis on 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 the situation with this specific paragraph, and what they concluded was that that usually they double the rent in 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 our capital area when people move out, some new tenant move in, then the the rent is is typically doubled, and of course we could see when we have some seventy five thousand of these regulated cheap apartments left that is not yet been renovated, then it would be a matter of seven or eight years before they would all be at a whole different uh, level of rent and, and we needed to move relatively fast to, to get that, uh, to change that development. Uh, and we saw also we had some other people looking at, at the prices of, of the property in, 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 uh, in Denmark and in Copenhagen especially and we saw that in five years they doubled the value. Uh, the the, the the prices they're they're trading them for were doubled in five years, so we, so we could see that that was something going on that wasn't uh, sustainable in the long run, and not for the people who buy them, but especially not for the people who live in them, uh, because they would be pushed out. Because what especially Blackstone did was that when they buy them, they they put in in the in the way they calculate the price, they put in an expectation of how many people they can get out of the apartment in the first two years, five years, whatever. 
And then because they, they expect to get people to move much quicker than other buyers, then they, they can, they can calculate a higher price and then, uh, and then they, they win, of course, and they buy the, the properties in the end. Uh, and that's what we wanted to, to stop. And, and I think we did manage to get a, uh, an agreement that that has stopped uh, many of the, of those small uh, short-term speculators. But I'm wondering, Carr, if you could take us through the legislation a little bit. Like, what does your legislation actually do? How did you manage this scenario through legislation? And um, yeah, what does it look like? Well, there's there's three uh, main parts of it. Uh, uh, there's one part uh, that's strengthening tenants' rights, one part making it making the the renovations more uh, climate friendly, but also thereby more difficult to make. And then there's one part uh, making uh, it impossible to make renovations and double the rent within the first five years that you own the property. So if we start with that last one, then, then that's that's been the most debated one and, and the right-wing parties, or most of them, uh, were, were fiercely against uh, making this a five-year. Originally, I wanted a 10-year uh, uh, ban on, on, on this renovation and, and housing. Uh, but what the compromise was a uh, five-year uh, period. And I think also that's going to work. What we've seen since we put that in what is that, that uh, the property prices has fallen uh, about eight to 12%. Uh, and, and that many of the well-known aggressive uh, investors uh, don't invest in Copenhagen anymore. Uh, but still we have pension funds and we have uh, Swedish investors, especially uh, who, who still invest in, 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 in Copenhagen. But, but there's been a push towards building, constructing new uh, properties uh, and less buying old properties. And, and that's just actually what we want as a government because Constructing new property is, is more, does add new apartments, even if they're expensive, it, it does add a new apartment so that, that the demand is, is better met. Uh, so that's one part. That's, that's the five year ban on, on, on making this rent increase. And then we strengthened uh, tenants' rights by a series of new uh, measures. One, one is, uh, is that you can't offer people money to move out of the apartment. We saw a lot of tenants and I heard a lot of people writing to me about how they tried to buy everyone out of the apartment and people felt compelled to, to take the money and get out of the apartment but in Copenhagen even if you get uh, like uh, 30,000 uh, euros for moving out of your apartment you can't buy anything with that money so it does leave people without a home um, and we we tripled the fines that you get when you when you uh, when you don't uh, comply with uh, with housing board's uh, uh, recommendations and we uh, made a, a lot of other smaller uh, changes that is very uh, down in the paragraphs but does make difference for example you every tenant in an apartment gets to know what the other tenants pay in rent so so uh, so you have a transparency uh, which of course worked the the non-transparency situation worked for for the landlords especially and then we we made new demands on on the climate standard the energy standard of the building so when they renovate they have to use more of the money uh, most of the money on getting 
uh, climate friendly buildings uh, and of course that's that's also working for the tenants because it's uh, it's pushing down the 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 cost for for heating the houses uh, so so that's the, the three main parts uh, and and especially the the five year ban on, on housing uh, increase after you buy an apartment that's been very de- debated overall their idea is to push up the value of the of the stock of the of the company so they can sell them because it's i mean we have been looking into blackstone for a long time and at their at their homepage it said buy fix sell that's the business model of Blackstone, buy, fix, sell. And when that buy, fix, sell comes in and in a very short time pushes up the rents and then they just move out, it's, of course, it's not good for any society. Not, so it's, it's, it's really cool that you're, that you're taking them on. Absolutely. And how much, how much pressure were you under to not try to pass that legislation? I'm interested to know that. Uh, for sure. How hard was it? Well, there was a lot of pressure, of course, parliamentary pressure from from the right wing parties, or most of them. We did get one of the parties into the agreement. That's what made it viable on the long run, because then they can't turn it around when if if they get a majority. But but also from the pension funds association, but they were quite fair in their critique or, or keeping on more sort of. Uh, they weren't pushing out fake news and and making uh, these kind of propaganda uh, moves, but 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 then there was the financial sector and the landlords associations, and those two were the most aggressive, and and they were trying to push the discussion into uh, another uh, form of of of, uh, of housing, which is called co-op housing, which is sort of a, a halfway between a rental and an owner uh, apartment. We have a lot of them, especially in Copenhagen. And because all these systems are linked together, they tried to make this scare campaign that 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 we were pushing down people's values. And and that's that was large part of the debate. The, the billionaires of America became 25% richer 2020. And I guess also the billionaires of Denmark made the same. So, I mean, we shouldn't pity the the rich right now. <laughs> no. But one question that journalists always ask me when I'm saying that I agree with rent caps or that I agree that uh, rents shouldn't be raised, you know, over periods of time, rent freezes, that sort of thing. They always say to me, well, won't that mean that landlords will let their buildings fall into disrepair because they can't recoup the cost of the repairs or renovations or upgrades. What and and in light of your legislation, which also says that um, buildings should be moving toward green renovations, um, what's your response to that? Well, we also heard that a lot, uh, but I think that people uh, it didn't it didn't resonate that much in population and the media because I think that that people don't see it uh, in the they you never visit someone in, in Copenhagen who has these uh, f- uh, worn down apartments there's there's very few of them left and and maybe of course there is a risk that some of the apartments are renovated less than they used to be but I'd also say that some of them were renovated too much and with a with a too high frequency uh, 
I think that of course, as a landlord, you should you should be able to keep them in a good standard, the apartments, and and you should also be able to get those money back from from the people who lived in them. But that was just not the case, and I don't think that this legislation is going to change uh, that situation very much. Uh, but then of, again, if 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 you if you have some apartments that has a different level of of maintenance than others. Uh, but it's still, it's a, you're able to live there, and and you you have a, you have a high energy standard, and and you have the the, all the things you need in in to live there. Then then I think that's maybe also part of the a diverse housing market that that you don't need, perfectly maintenance and renovated apartments for all people. Some if you're a student, then you can live some years in something that is maybe at at a bit less maintenance. Yeah. Good answer. <laughs> now I'll use, I'm going to just quote you from now on when I'm asked by journalists. Do you feel that you have to repair the mistakes of, of former generations, kind of? Measuring it, what changed in policy, I think we did make some some mistakes in, in believing in knowledge economy and, and this uh, vision about uh, Europe being someplace that... that uh, would think a lot and design a lot, and then we would have uh, pro- produced everything in China. And and if our toilet broke down, we would have some guy from Romania coming to to fix it. And and I think that uh, that whole knowledge economy, uh, that uh, that vision of society was wrong because it emphasized people with uh, long education and uh, high uh, salaries uh, and it it sort of lost track of all the other people who who needs to be there to make a society viable and, and sustainable and people driving the buses and the people in our hospitals and all the other not only the doctors but also those 90 percent of hospital uh, staff that are not doctors and 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 i think we lost track of of that that vision of of a society that that has a place for for everyone and even if you don't take long uh, you don't go to college or take any other long education then then you still have a high wage and and possibilities in your life what we learned also for some part because of the corona pandemic and and all these things going on is that that you can actually put a lot more of of how society develops and and the policy that you make into the hands of politicians and make political decisions, not push it to the EU or push it to the market or or, or push the decisions everywhere else around. And and, and I think that that the notion that politicians make political decisions and and we are responsible for those, I think it's it's been giving a, a lot more uh, room in, in the in the past uh, two or three years, at least uh, with, with the people I discuss uh, from the social democrats around around Europe. So, what is your advice to your your colleagues in in the rest of Europe? I think that um, that people should be aware that there are very uh, strong interests uh, at stake, especially for for as I mentioned, the financial sector was very skeptical of of our proposal and. And you're getting in a fight with some of the, some of the big players in in traditional politics. But but I think that what when we discussed it also in the government, I think we also always had the. We always had the the view in it that that we were uh, proposing legislation that that most Danes uh, agreed in, and we think one thing is that 
that we think thought it was the right thing to do, and that's why we started it. But also that that most people agreed with us. Also, people who who vote for uh, center right parties, they, they also thought that that Blackstone and and the representatives they had in Denmark were going too far. So I think that that that's very important to to remember that the most people uh, see the reason behind having cities where all sorts of people can live uh, no matter uh, how much uh, you earn and and most people see see reason in 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 not making fast profits on buying and selling property because well i think at least in 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 the nordic countries uh, but also maybe in, in most of europe we have this one notion from from the social democratic and workers movement that that you should always push society towards uh, earning more on your work and earning less on owning money. So, so if we could do that uh, slowly but gradually, uh, I think that was that would be a, a strong positive force. And I think that that uh, restricting uh, fast money on property is one uh, one tool to get there. So Leilani. This was Korodiba, the Danish housing minister, who actually said that push was a part of making a legislation come through in Denmark. It's kind of cool, isn't it? I think it's very cool. I really loved this episode because I think we have to reflect on the fact that here we have a national level government, a minister recognizing his role and the government's role in pushing back against the big actors like Blackstone. Not so many politicians have had the courage to do that. And uh, this is a good reminder that it is possible. And also this kind of, that is now almost a revolutionary sentence to say, also a bus driver has a right to live in the center of a big city, which is like, I mean, come on, bus drivers have always been living in big cities, but suddenly they can't afford it. So it's, it's, it, it is interesting. It says something about where we are at our times in history in some yeah, way. Leilani, in plaisir to have you on the summer season, <laughs> la session d'été, the... Pushback talks. You're really becoming a uh, Frenchman. Uh, I, you know, I, I really identify you as a, as a Swede. <laughs> sometimes a man of the world, but now also a Frenchman. <laughs> okay, how do we find? Como financiamos este podcast? Well, we don't really <laughs> finance the podcast, but we have a growing number of Patreons who give us just a small amount of money every month by subscribing to the Patreon account for Pushback Talks. And it helps, right? Every little bit helps. Leilani, uh, enjoy your summer day. Thanks. You too, Frederick. Thank you. See you soon. Bye. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushtofilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again next week.